Many of you know I'm a true advocate for taking supplementation to optimize your health, and one of the best things you can do is choose the right collagen. Collagen is a building block to your entire body. I was introduced to Sparkle Wellness product Skin Boost Plus about a year ago, and I've been taking it ever since. Now they've launched a new bone strength product that I'm super excited about. New Osteo Boost Collagen is formulated to improve bone mineral density, something we all need to think about as early as age 40. Made with award-winning collagen peptide known as Fortibone, the product really has led to meaningful results for people who need significant improvement in this area, including those suffering with fractures or broken bones. Osteoboost is a great choice for anyone over the age of 40 to reduce the risk of bone mineral density loss, a major precursor to the diagnosis of bone-related diseases. Right now, you can get any of the Sparkle Wellness collagen supplements from Amazon or from their website, lovesparkle.life, and use my code DRFIT for 20% off. That's D-R-F-I-T at lovesparkle.life for 20% off their new product, Osteoboost. to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Jamie, and welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast. It is so lovely to have you here today because we are going to talk about something totally different, something we haven't talked about on the podcast before, and I know you guys are going to love it and get so much out of it. Dr. Perry Nicholson is the lymph doc, and he's a chiropractic physician that focuses on treating chronic pain and inflammation via the lymphatic and vascular system. He's the owner of Stop Chasing Pain. He's an international speaker and educator of self-care mojo series. And we're going to talk about that. Lymphatic mojo, blood flow mojo, tongue mojo, glymphatic. You probably don't even know what that is. We're going to teach you. It goes on and on and on. He's also the author of an upcoming book, Stop Chasing Pain. I follow him on Instagram. He puts out incredible, incredible uh, topics and tips and so many things that are helping people. But he's an expert in movement assessment and diagnosis. He's certified and trained as a functional movement specialist and selective functional movement assessment specialist. He uses programs designed to find the sources of non-painful dysfunction so your site of pain improves. Dr. Perry Nicholson, welcome to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So... Tell me a little bit about your story because I understand that we all come from like a, a personal place that really drives our passion. And I know you you have a story about a, an injury and some some problems that that probably created this passion for you. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, probably like most people, I got into healthcare through some my own suffering, honestly, or people in your life that's suffering that you want to help. So initially, I got into looking at um, chiropractic and movement-based rehabilitation and a lot more neurology at the time because I was suffering from chronic musculoskeletal pain at the time, at your lower back, right, which, which nobody gets Low pain down back there. pain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it got me standing up again. And I said, I would love to do this for the rest of my life, right? But through my course of learning, but also through the course of life, I changed a pathway like it happens for many people through a new form of suffering, <laughs> right? And I got more of a autoimmune uh, immune system related illnesses. And people say, well, what did, what did you have? I really didn't get an answer, honestly. It felt like I had everyone you could possibly name, quite honestly. And I just knew at that point, my current thought process of trying to heal myself wasn't working. So all of the movement things that I learned, all of the neurology things that I've learned, they're great, but they weren't what I needed at this point. So here's where the new (laughs) learning began, began. I had to heal myself and fix myself because nobody else was either. So whatever thought processes they had, they weren't working. They were actually making me worse. So I said, okay, I've got to stop and re-examine everything and completely change the way that I'm looking at the body. And then that's what led me to the work that I'm doing now in relationship to the lymphatic series and the mojo series of stuff that we mentioned before, because that's what I learned along my journey of healing. And now here's the thing. When I was in that abyss and suffering, it took me a while to get out of it, even when I found the answers that worked for me. But I 
was blown away by how many other people are suffering in the abyss themselves. There's a lot. It's just like you don't notice it when you're going along with your life and everything seems great. But so many people are suffering the same way. And I said, I have to share this information with people. And that's been my journey ever since. When you say, uh, you know, people weren't helping you, I'm assuming you had gone to doctors and nobody could figure out what was going on. I mean, was it like medicines that you were trying or what did you, what were the things that didn't help before you found what did? It was kind of a mixture of everything, honestly. So it was my own training that I learned in relationship to, like I said before, a chiropractic and neurology and movement. I was even doing nutrition, started to try to get on the the leaky gut bandwagon, which helped a little bit. So that was a big aha moment for me, honestly. But, you know, I've been training and working out and doing nutrition since I was 14 years old and bodybuilding. I was not one of those people who didn't take care of themselves. I did everything that I thought I needed to do the right way my whole life. And I still got run over by a uh, an 18 wheeler with what I had going on. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where I needed to go the traditional medical route because I had a lot of underlying infections. I got cellulitis, which is a very painful condition in the body, three individual times. Which now that I look back, I'm like, well, of course you did because your lymph system was a hot mess. You should have known that, right? That's one of the biggest reasons why you get that. And I had I went on lots of medications and antibiotics, and I had to go through several surgeries as well because some of the infections made their way deep inside of the body. But unbeknownst to me, through that process of them trying to help me, which some of it I did need, okay, but I got worse over time because it didn't go to the underlying root cause of what caused that in the first place. So basically people were chasing stuff. Hence stop chasing pain, but also this stop chasing symptoms. That's a big one. (laughs) So symptoms only tell you there's something up. It doesn't tell you what it is because it could be a lot of different things. Right? So for me, uh, I kept going down that route and I hit a rock bottom. I got to a point where I could barely function and I was giving up. I had a contem- I tell this all the time when I teach at a contemplation of suicide. I call it a suicide hotline. And the police showed up at my door two hours later. And that's when the people in my life that I love found out how much I had hit rock bottom. And I had to make a choice. You got to flip a switch, Perry, or you're not going to make it. And then you have to look at things that seem crazy, but they're not crazy. It's just a different way of looking at something that here's the rub. It's always been there. You just didn't see it yet because you weren't ready to see it. And pain and suffering has a way of opening up your mind to new possibilities. That's one of the reasons why you get it. (laughs) (laughs) Your body's like, I don't like this. Do something different. (laughs) Well, my definition of pain is pain is a request for change. So I would like to break that down a moment. A request from what? Well, you. And people say, well, what part of you? Yes is the answer. All, all your systems of the body, because all the different systems of the body work together. They don't get injured alone. They don't heal alone. They don't function alone. Okay? And that's unfortunately how we treat the body. We go after isolated systems of the body. So from that point, I knew I, my body was requesting change. And this is when people say, change what? And here's my other answer. Yes. I don't know what it is. I just know it needs to be something different than what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is this. It's not so much what you start doing that helps you. It's what you stop doing that you don't even know is an issue causing your problem. So it's a balance of both. So you need to take stuff out of the bucket and also put stuff into the bucket at the same time, right? And sometimes their requests can be really, really intense because you've ignored all the subtle requests prior, And then the only way that your body can get your attention is, I'm going to crush you. I'm going to take you out. And at that point in time, then you have to have that pivotal moment like I did to say, I got to wipe this slate clean and look at it from a new perspective. And that's what I teach right now to everyone is my mojo approach to self-care, to hopefully helping you bring yourself back from your own quicksand, your own abyss. I love that. So when you say it's more important uh, that there may be things you need to stop doing, what are kind of like the big hitters here that that you see a lot with patients that that really cause a lot of pain for people? 
Yeah, well, a lot of it's lifestyle driven, right? And that's the stuff that is causing the chronic disease of today. And it's very important that I have a caveat on the different types of pain or the different types of illness. If you have a traumatic onset of pain or injury or illness, like if I hit you in the face with a baseball bat, A equals B, you got to go get your face fixed. And then you go into my world so I can hopefully help it recover faster, right? That's traumatic. But it's the it's a non-traumatic, slow, insidious onset of pain that people get, which is yesterday my face didn't hurt, and now today it's killing me. You can't treat that the same way. Now, you right. may need surgery like the other one, but your process of healing from it is vastly different because I want to know why it started to hurt in the first place and what took it so long to get to that point because it's important to know that your body's probably been doing a lot of stuff to adapt and compensate and keep you from feeling the pain for so many years prior to you feeling it right until it ran out of options to compensate for you and i'm going to tell you this much it's not just your face that's what i want people to say is start where it hurts and then look everywhere else because that's where you're going to find your answer because the dirty little secret is it's always both <laughs> right uh, so yeah. you, you start from that perspective and then a lot of it was the stuff that we do in our life of our everyday habits that build up over time that cause these issues. One of it is maybe it's, it's trying to stop the negative stinking thinking stuff that you give yourself, or maybe you have to stop being in a toxic relationship that's pulling you into the quicksand that you don't know about. And most human beings are in that. And sometimes the most toxic relationship you have is with yourself. Because maybe yeah. you hate yourself. Maybe you have shame about a certain part of your body. And that's a big one because what's cool is they've proven that shame increases inflammation. Interesting. In so the psychological stress that we endure can, can be physically manifested. I'm going to tell you, it's always going to manifest itself in pain some way, shape, or form. Because they, they know stress, incessant stress is the number one cause of chronic disease. And I'm going to caveat and say chronic pain in the body, too, because you can't separate how you think from what your body does with how you think. And most people don't go that route or look at the emotional side of chronic pain until they're in the quicksand long enough and they've got no other choice but to look there. There's always an emotional component to chronic pain because you're a human being living on this earth. And maybe it's also your relationship to what pain means to you, because you can look at pain as a form of punishment. And that's not going to work out for well for you. I can tell you that right now. Or you can look at pain as protective because that's what it is all the time. It's yeah, protecting the, you from something. That's the difficult part as a, you know, traditionally trained Western physician, right? We use pain as like a vital sign. The nurses ask scale one to 10, you know, what's your pain level or women in labor, right? You know, what is your, how well are they coping with this? But what seems like something we're really trying to look at objectively, we have, we have no measurement tool, no lab test. It is still, you know, very, very, very much subjective. You know, what, yeah, it's a hundred percent subjective, not a, no yeah. objectivity to pain whatsoever, because you and I can experience the same event and have a completely different reaction to the event yeah. based on our experience with that event prior. Mm -hmm. right? Or what somebody yeah, told me, like, so I have can my tell subjective you. interpretation of their subjective interpretation. Like when I watch women in labor, I'm like, oh yeah, these contractions aren't bad. She's she's just not dealing with this. You know, like she doesn't even know how bad this is going to get uh, <laughs> because right. I've been through it so many times. So I know when women are, you know, legitimately like transitioning in labor versus early. I mean, I can tell that just by, by looking at them and, and observing that, but but when they've never been through it before, right? This is their first interpretation of what's happening. And yeah, that's, that's, so that's actually very critical yeah. doc right there, because what I've found through looking at research and human behavior is that everything stresses the nervous system, good stuff and bad stuff. It's your capacity mm -hmm. to deal with the stress. It's called allostasis or allostatic yeah. load. You may be familiar yeah. with that, right? It's like filling up a bucket. It's only going to hold so much in the bucket before it overflows. But I found out that when I looked at neurology that the number one stressor to the human nervous system is uncertainty, not knowing, and lack of control. So think about that. It's your first experience having a baby. You haven't been there before. You don't know what that, right. what's going to happen. That's uncertainty. And a lot of the stuff you can't control, but one of the biggest things you can control is how you breathe. That's a big one. Right. 
So I'm sure you teach that. And that's the number one way to affect your autonomic nervous system is taking in how you breathe from the stress response, right? So it, it's that um, the not knowing part, like the lack of information that's coming on mm -hmm. in. That's why sometimes it's easier for someone the second time to go through something because they're like, been there, done that. But you also bring the baggage of your first experience to your second experience. That's why pain can get you caught in a loop because if bending over to tie your shoes hurt you before, you're going to expect bending over to tie your shoe hurts you again. And maybe yeah. it's going to hurt because you expected it to hurt. So you're in this red pill, blue pill matrix. But when you look at pain, which is its own, you know, never ending discussion is that they know that pain is always in the brain. It's not in the tissues. So that means that stuff comes into your brain from your experience, usually your sensory experience, what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you touch, what you, you know, all those things. And then once it reaches the brain, the brain tells itself a story and it interprets what the data is based on the data it got before or the data that somebody else fed you through a nocebo, a placebo effect, where this is going to hurt a lot or it's not going to be bad at all. That changes automatically how you feel something. And then you get your output. And what's the output? That's your life. That's how yeah. you interpret the pain. So pain is always real, but the, how you look at it is, is a big thing. So that's one of the reasons why I tell people, if you just try to re-mean it, I don't use the word reframe, I re-mean. Re is it pain is not there to crush your life and punish you. It's there to protect you and it's doing the best it can with what it's got and the moment it's in to heal and protect you all the time. That's a big, big reframe. It's not easy. Most things that are going to transform your life are not easy. That's true. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Um, so you're known as the lymph doc. Tell our listeners what the lymphatic system is. Uh, talk to me like I'm a fifth grader. <laughs> what is oh, the lymphatic that's great. system? That, that's how I teach all the time anyway. Right. And I have to tell you, I love, love, love the lymphatic system. You know, if, if you want to get me going, I sometimes I'll just keep talking and I won't stop. So I'm going to give you that warning right now about the lymphatic system. One is probably best to tell you what systems of the body it is comprised of. So the lymphatic system is like the sewage system in your body. It's supposed to get rid of all the stuff that's inside that you don't want inside anymore and stuff that makes its way inside of you that you want to get out. So it's um, like a waste management and it flushes out bacteria and parasites, fungus, cancer cells, metabolic cellular waste. That's a huge one. That's one of the most important ones that people forget is that your cells are always uh, replicating, making new ones, but they also get damaged through trauma or injury or inflammation. And even just going through life when everything is great, and you don't have any pain, you're always making waste. And that waste has to get out. The primary system that does it is your lymphatic system. Right? And the lymphatic system is also part of your immune system. It's the largest component of your immune system. And nobody ever pays attention to the lymphatic system until they get a body part that's really, really swollen. And then they get diagnosed with what's called lymphedema. Where yeah, something or a lymph is, node. I'm sure people have heard of like yeah, a lymph node. Or a lymph yeah. node. Or when you hear the word cancer, you know, that's when it comes on the radar. So it's part of your immune system. And it just so happens, an interesting fact is that most of your immune system lives in your gut. Well, guess where most of your lymph lives? In your gut. So your body's really smart like that. It knows that if the immune system lives there, I'm going to put the lymphatic system there. So in my world, if you have an immune system problem, you have a lymph problem, period. It just depends on how much of a role it's playing. If you have a gut problem, which how do you know you have a gut problem? Yes, that's easy because you're on this earth. I know you got a gut problem. It just depends on what level it's at. You have a lymph issue, right? And lymph issues are also caused by gut issues. So it's part of your immune system. And most people in chronic pain and autoimmune disease have what? An immune system issue. Because inflammation is not a musculoskeletal issue. It's an immune system issue. It's also a nervous system issue. So it's called a neuroimmune response. Once again, these systems don't work 
alone. So the nervous system, when you get into fight or flight <clears throat> or you're in pain, your immune system increases what it's doing because it's trying to heal and protect you. So you get caught in this vicious fight or flight loop where you're always on survival modes called sympathetic dominant hypervigilance syndrome. And then the immune system stays locked there too. And then you start to break yourself down because your body's and it protecting doesn't matter. you, but it's overprotecting. And it doesn't matter if a bear came out of the woods and scared you <clears throat> or if your boss yelled at you, right? Like the body mm. is perceiving these threats similarly. Yeah. And you can cycle back to what we talked about before. It's your interpretation of what happened in your life. Mm -hmm. Maybe you said something to me that triggered me off. And my response to that increases my sympathetic nervous system and increases my immune response. And I feel worse. Yeah. So that's all based on your interpretation of what somebody said to you. So that's one of the biggest things that was a takeaway for me is that when I started to notice that how I reacted to things, my symptoms got worse. That's a big thing to know, because guess what? You can control how you react to things. That's kind of a big deal. It's not easy yeah. to do. It's the awareness. Do it. First of all, you have to have the awareness because you can't control something until you become aware of it. That, that's huge, right? So your immune system is going to be tied to that. And then it's part of your vascular system, your cardiovascular system. And that's blood flow. So your lymphatics dump into the veins of the body which is part of your vascular system. So in my world, if you have chronic pain, you have a blood flow problem somewhere, period. Maybe it's the blood flow that's decreased in your brain, because trust me, it's going to be in most people. And when your brain doesn't get oxygen, that's going to get inflammation. And it's going to change how you interpret pain because it's, it's changing how your neurons work because you don't have a lot of oxygen, right? And when you don't have oxygen, and the body, something will hurt without question, right? So it's the blood flow and it's the lymph flow together. And this is really key for people to understand. So I had to go back to figure out, okay, why am I not getting better? What's going on? What does the body need to heal itself, right? So when I took it down to like an individual level, you're full of trillions of cells, but let me just take it down to one cell. Because I, if I can figure out what one cell needs, I'm pretty sure the other trillion are going to need the same thing, right? So then I said, okay, well, what do cells need to heal and recover? Well, one, they need nutrients and oxygen, right? So that's a big one. So nutrients is, why don't you pay attention to the stuff that you're sticking in your mouth, like your diet? And I've been doing that. Like I've been watching my nutrition. So that's one. So eat better than you are now. That's a good first step. And also stop eating crap. So we go back to the what you stop doing. And then people say, I don't know what that is. Yes, you do. You just don't do it. Everybody knows what crappy food is. Then the other one is oxygen. Well, how do you get oxygen? Through breathing. So then you're going to start to pay attention to your breathing. And I have a lot of people that do that. They eat great and they practice, practice breathing techniques, but they're still in pain, right? And then I go, okay, well, if I have the nutrients, first of all, they got to go into your gut, right? And if you have a lymph problem, you're always going to make yourself worse because of what gets in your gut. How does the nutrients in the oxygen get to that cell? And then this is where people should be saying blood flow. So once again, I'm back to circulation and stress decreases circulation. Right. So now let's say I've got all those things and it's in the bloodstream. And then to get to the cell, it has to exit the bloodstream and cross this fluid like an ocean to get to the cells that are swimming in it. And that's called your interstitial fluid, the fluid between the cells. Right. And gets to the cell. Now, what controls the health of the interstitial fluid? That's the ocean that your cells sit in the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system keeps that fluid clean or dirty, right? Or if it's full of waste. Now, how does it get waste? Well, that's easy. When your cells use the nutrients and they use the oxygen, they go through a metabolic process using mitochondria and the Krebs cycle and they create energy. And when you make energy, guess what you make? Waste. Where does the waste go? into the ocean of the fluid around the cells because your cells poop too. 
and then you poop the cell poop. You follow? I was literally about <laughs> so, to say it's like cellular poop. <laughs> yeah. So what happens yeah. is those toxins are now in the same fluid. Now, how does that waste get out of that fluid? Lymphatic. Lymphatics and veins, both. But most of it goes through lymph. 90% is going to go through the lymph, right? But if you got backed up lymph, what else you got? Backed up veins. So I already know you got a vein problem if you got a lymph problem because you always have both. Now imagine the cells living in their own metabolic waste and cellular waste, not to mention all the stuff that's coming in from bacteria and parasites and fungus and all those sorts of different things. And those things love, love, love when you don't have oxygen because they thrive in environments with low oxygen. So it's a playground for those guys. Why in the world do I want to leave? I'm going to stay right here. So this is where my aha moment came down. This is where I'm getting excited. So for years, I'm looking at breathing and I'm looking at movement and I'm looking at nutrition and I'm not getting any better. And I'm like, what am I missing? Ha! Ah, waste. And I saw a quote from studying osteopathic medicine, and I love osteopathy, particularly classic osteopathy. And Andrew Taylor Still, who's the founder of osteopathic medicine, used to be a medical doctor, had this phrase. Drainage precedes supply. I'm going to say that again. <clears throat> Drainage precedes supply. So what does that mean? You got to drain the waste and the toxins out first before you stand any chance of getting the nutrients from the supply side in. So I had the order backwards. Mm. And I wasn't looking at the lymphatic system of the waste management system. And you've got about 700 of these lymph nodes in your body, and they're many toilets. So imagine going in your bathroom and you create waste, right? Well, hopefully you'll flush the toilet and it goes out. Well, what happens if you flush the toilet and it doesn't go out? That waste stays in your house and then I don't want to be in your house. Well, your cells don't want to be inside you either, but they got no choice. And then what's going to happen? You're going to have an environment that's going to breed disease and stagnation. And you see it in nature. If you see a stagnant pond, animals know not to drink from that. Mm -hmm. And there's muck in there and it'll kill you. And if you got water that moves, it's not like that. So you got to get that lymphatic system moving. So how do you do that? Well, there's two big ways that that happens, right? One is through movement. So just move yourself because moving the muscles just not Moves sitting, walking, life. exercising, whatever <clears throat> yeah. it is. Yeah. Any People movement. say, Doc, what's the best movement for length? Yes is my answer. All of it. But probably the best ones are walking and jumping up and down. It's called I'm a foot. I'm a foot tapper. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, that's a start. Yeah, that's a start. Yeah. Well, you pump those calves. And when you pump the calves, the calves are considered uh, you're like your second heart in Eastern medicine because they'll pump the blood back up towards the uh heart. And, uh, you know, people don't move a lot these days. They're very sedentary. Yeah. And, you know, you don't need to buy a rebounder either. You can just use these things that are built into you called calves. You jump up and down like that. And all the fluids in your body move up and down. And guess what? You'll probably enjoy it and have a little fun and feel like a kid again and smile. And your inflammation goes down just from that. From a psychological what about these? Um, I've seen, I'm seeing these power plates, these vibration plates. Do those do anything with the lymphatic system? Yeah, they will too. You just got to be really careful when you start those things because they're very powerful, even though they don't seem to be. And people overdo them right out of the beginning. And they'll jump on there for 20 minutes and then they'll unleash all those toxins in the body in one shot. And they usually will not feel well or they'll yeah. prolong their healing process because they overwhelm the body with stuff that it wasn't ready for. So you have to tiptoe in. They're stirring the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Basically that's yeah. what it is. Like stirring the toilet and you, you can't flush the toilet. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So, and then it's breathing. Breathing is the next one that moves the lymph, but particularly through a muscle called your diaphragm muscle that some people are familiar with. Some might not be familiar with it. It's a muscle that sits on the bottom part of your rib cage and it separates the upper body from the lower body. And 
The reason that that does it is the diaphragm increases or decreases pressure in the body like a piston pump every time you breathe. And mm -hmm. that pumps the lymphatics, particularly in where they're located the most, which is your gut. The largest lymph node in your body is in your gut, about two to three inches above your navel. And most humans have a block there. Talk to me about breathing. Um, obviously, I coach women breathing in labor. I was a former collegiate athlete. We were taught by our psychologists, you know, breath work, breathing on the mound, how to bring your heart rate down. But yep. when you go to the internet, there's like six, seven, eight technique, box breathing technique, <laughs> uh, double exhale. I mean, there's so many. Tell me what your what your what is your suggestion for somebody listening right now that says, okay, I like what he's saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little breathing practice, or maybe we can do one right now together. You you tell me what uh, what people should know. Oh, that's about a great breathing. Question. Isn't that so? I mean, you you look up breathing techniques to try to decrease your stress, and you get stressed because you see so many techniques, and you don't know which one to choose, or you get people <laughs> tell you that you're breathing wrong. Like, mm -hmm. I don't believe in right or wrong when it comes to the body. I just believe in something that's different. Because I'm something still breathing. Be... I woke up breathing. <laughs> well, that's a good start, you know, because if you're dead, it's hard to get better, right? Uh, the first thing that I tell people is this. The number one step to changing your breathing is to start to have more awareness of your breathing. Because people just don't even pay attention to how they breathe. I ask every yeah. single one of my clients when they come in to see me, how do you, do breathe? you breathe through your diaphragm? Do you know about breathing? And they look at me like I got five heads. They don't know what I'm talking about. Right. And so that's the first lesson that you, you need to, to know that not everybody knows the information that we know. If I say diaphragm to nine out of 10 people, they don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. And so with the breathing, the first one is this, I say, I want you to try to breathe more through your nose than your mouth. That's number one. Just do that for a week. Notice how much you are breathing through your mouth. And when you start to pay attention to that, you'll be like, oh my goodness, I do that all the time. Because mouth breathers, I'm gonna tell you this right now, if you're a chronic mouth breather, you will never recover from inflammation. It's not possible. Because you do 20 to 20,000 breaths a day and that determines what? The oxygen and carbon dioxide in your body, which is one of the things that your body uses in order to navigate inflammation, healing, and recovery. And mouth breathers will typically be low in oxygen, okay? Mm. So start there. And then tape yourself at night like a video camera or ask your significant other, are you breathing with your mouth open at night? Which a lot of people will do because they may have undiagnosed sleep apnea things like that, mm -hmm. which most people do. But it's, you'll also get that a lot when you can't breathe through your nose because your lymphatic system's so backed up, you can't breathe through your nose, you follow? So that's why yeah. one of the things when we start lymphatic work, your breathing typically improves. So start there. Because then you can start to look into actually physically using mouth tape to tape your mouth shut at night when you sleep, which can be transformational for people. But yeah. not everybody I'm is ready for it. Not everybody can do it, right? Um, but you can know what is on the radar. Then I'm going to just tell you, okay, now breathe in and out through your nose when you do your breathing techniques, right? Even when you're walking, keep your mouth shut. The mouth is for eating and talking, not breathing, right? Up to a certain point, right? Then I'm going to tell people to just start to do this. I want you to make your exhales longer than your inhales. That's it. And then they say, well, how many numbers? I'm like, I don't care. You pick it. But here's the thing. I don't want you to have numbers so high that you're stressing yourself out with your breathing that you can't reach the numbers because you're putting yourself through a stress response. So I tell people this. Try to take a slow breath in through your nose for four seconds. And when you breathe in through your nose, you automatically send more oxygen to the lower one third of your lungs. You automatically engage the diaphragm muscle more just from doing that because most people don't know how to feel or sense the diaphragm. This does it for you. You don't have to think about it. So go in for four seconds and then hold it for one or two. That's it. And then make your exhale through your nose. Try to reach longer than the inhale. Go five, six, or seven seconds. Why? Because they know that exhales 
stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system more, which is the relaxation one, heal and recovery one, right? So just doing that breath cycle, that will roughly put you at about four seconds in, a second hold, about 10 seconds per breath cycle. Then if you extrapolate and you do the math, six times 10 is 60 minutes, you'll usually have about six breaths a minute which is the target for decreasing your stress, right? That's the easiest way to start. I don't see patients breathing six breaths a minute. (laughs) Nah, they're usually doing 20. Sometimes I get people sometimes 20, 25. Yeah. Uh, If you do that, you're going to stay inflamed, period. Like I can move your lymph, no problem. And I can show you how to move your lymph because everybody should be moving their lymph all the time. But you got to get that breathing down, right? And so that's a big one because that's going to start to change blood flow in the body. It changes pressure in the body. It changes lymph flow in the body. And you'll automatically get more oxygen to your brain. And you'll have better sense of where you are. You'll feel better just because your brain's able to breathe. But this cycles yeah. back to something I wanted to say before is that many people, and like I was doing this, you know, Doc, I hydrate all the time. I move all the time. I'm eating great. Shouldn't that be enough to move my lymph? The operative word is should. Yes. But sometimes the blockages are so big, so numerous, and so deep that those are no longer enough to do it. You have to get in there and physically remove the blocks by hand. That's the manual lymphatic massage. And I'm going to cycle back to the toilet. Sometimes it's so backed up that you can't keep flushing the toilet to make it go down. Because when you keep flushing the toilet, what happens? The pole gets near the top (laughs) and you're like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. So then how do you get it out? Well, you get the plunger and you snake it. Well, guess what your hands are? Your lymph plunger. So that's the person that needs to go in and do what I teach. I teach what's called the big six method, where you pay attention to the places where the largest amount of lymph nodes gather in a cluster in a community, and they're the most blocked. If you clear those up, then your sewage system begins to work better. And then all of a sudden, you're like, Doc, this is the craziest thing in the world, but I got to tell you, I feel so much better just from doing that. And I'm like, I know you do, because I just showed you how to increase blood flow to tissues and increase waste away from tissues so your cells can heal, recover, and regenerate, and you can become a hashtag beast mode monster and live your best life. Where are these six areas? That's a great question. I throw (laughs) that one over the plate. This is one of the most important things that people need to understand about lymphatic flow. Once you understand this, you can figure anything out in your body that's swollen. So I'm going to talk about physics for a moment, but I'm not going to make it like melt your brain stuff. It's really simple. But I'm going to talk about the physics of fluid flow called hydrodynamics. Just remember this thing. Fluid goes from high pressure towards low pressure. It always wants to find the low pressure side. You can see that in life on uh, water dams that are built. You have all the water on one side, no water on the other side. So high pressure, low pressure. When you open the doors of the dam up, where does the water want to go? Well, this way, right? This is the secret. The lowest pressure for lymphatic flow and vein flow. And those are the two most important fluid routes in the body. You have twice as many veins in the body as arteries. Think about that. 70% of your blood at one point in time is chilling out in your veins. So I already know you got vein stagnation if you have chronic pain and disease. The lowest pressure is at the collarbone. So that means all your lymph everywhere wants to go to the collarbone on the right and the collarbone on the left. 75% to 80% goes to the left side. 
So that's the biggest route of exit. And all of your veins want to go here too. Because why? That's got to go back to the heart. And then it goes into the lungs, takes the oxygen in, then sends it back out again. And then it, that stuff goes through the bloodstream to now go to what? All your other waste management organs. So I can pee it out. I can poop it out. I can sweat it out. My kidneys can do their thing. My liver can do their thing. My lungs can do their thing. I can bring all that stuff out, right? So if the lowest pressure of fluid flow is at the neck, let's think about this logically. Where on the body do you think the highest pressure would be? What places? The feet is one. That's why people get swelling in the feet and they get edema in the feet. It's the furthest point away. And, oh, my goodness, I got to fight gravity at the same time. Got to do both. What about the hands? Yes, the furthest distance is in the hands. And what about from the collarbone up? The brain. The brain is the furthest. So what you need to know is this. Your hands are always trying to send waste to your collarbone. Your feet are always trying to send waste to your collarbone. And your brain is too. So if you injure your hand or you injure your ankle, all of that swelling, inflammation, and fluid waste is trying to get to your collarbone, right? So what that means is this. We always have to clear the lymphatics from low pressure towards high pressure, not the other way around. So you never, ever start in your hands and your feet or your head. You start at the collarbone and you work your way out first. Then you can go from those in but you always go inside out first. Why? Because you have to clear the areas that get the biggest blockages. And that's the, what I call the big six. So here's the cool thing. We already talked about movement moves limp, correct? Well, these lymph nodes cluster together around the primary joints of the body that are supposed to move the most. The shoulders, the hips, the knees, the abdomen, and the upper cervical spine, base of the skull. Those are the areas that you're supposed to get the most movement of, especially when you do what? Walk. Walk. Right? And so nature already built in the pumps, but think about this logically. Where do people have most of their tension in the body? And what happens when you sit for a long period of time? You bend your knee and you choke off the flow behind the knee. You're bending at your groin, the crease of the groin, because you're sitting all the time. You're slumping in your chair and you're choking off your diaphragm and you're blocking up the largest lymph node in the body in your gut. You're probably rounded in your your spine, forward, rolling your shoulders in because maybe you're looking at your phone for 24 hours a day or you're tired, fatigued, lethargic, and depressed and you can't stand up tall, lean, mean, and confident. So you choke off the blood flow at your shoulder and then your head comes really far forward over your spine and then you choke off the flow at the collarbone and I lock the flow at the top of my neck and I just compromise blood flow in and out to my brain. You're going to suffer. So I created a little bit taller now. (laughs) Yeah. If you do that, that's huge. That's, that's a big deal, right? So we clear those six areas called the big six from the collarbone out. And I'll show you how to do it. If we have time, you want me to show you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Let's, yeah. Let's pick one area and give somebody something they can do. So if you can do anything in your life, I'm going to tell you to always work above and below the collarbone every day of your life. And then people say, how do you work it? I said this a lot today. Yes is the answer. A lot of different ways. I just want you to rub below and above your collarbone on either side. There's no magical pressure. There's no magical number. There's no magical time. It's variation, variability, and variety. Go light, go faster, go deep, go different directions. You can draw hieroglyphics on your tissue. I don't care what you do. You just always start at the collarbone below and above. Don't cause any pain when you do it. Can you do both sides at the same time? Or you can do one side. 
Yeah, usually it's best to do okay. one side at a time because if you do both at the same time, you have to engage your pectoral muscles and you tighten okay. forward to do it. I want to try to do one at a time so I can open up more into what they call extension and pull my shoulders back. Right. Okay, so so you can listen right those. now. You better be massaging above and below your collarbones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So circles work really, really well. Okay. And then you can do very light tapping, which is a form of rebounding in and of itself. Just tap lightly above and below. Right. That's spot number one. Now okay. we go up to where the largest lymph node in the neck sits. The largest lymph node in the neck sits right behind the angle of your jaw, below the lobe of your ear, and what they call cervical one, your atlas. So you right. take a couple of fingers and put it behind the angle of your jaw. There's a little spot that sits there. Just right. rub up and down or in circles right there. That can be very swollen in a lot of people who have uh, chronic pain and autoimmune disease. So just go easy. And then just lightly tap with your fingers, not hard. So now that's gonna start to drain down to the collarbone because I opened up the collarbone first. Now we go to the shoulder joint, right where your shoulder and your pec come together, where people have a lot of tightness and tension. And this is where when women have breast cancer, they remove a lot of lymph nodes here. Right? Yeah. But they need to drain towards the neck, but you already opened the neck. So you helped it already. Now just rub across the front of the shoulder and along that pectoral muscle above it, on it, and underneath in the armpit a little bit. Just explore that region and then tap it. And then do the same thing on the other side. This is spot number three. And, and you have to go in this order. Yeah, you have to go in that order. Do not reverse those numbers, right? Now, if you reverse those numbers, I mean, it's not going to make you a bad person and your body's not going to explode. What I am going to tell you is you're making it much more difficult on your body to move the fluids because you're doing it in the wrong order. <laughs> it's much more efficient to do it this way because this is based on physics of fluid flow. Now, spot number four is your abdomen. And nobody ever pays attention to the abdomen for anything because it usually rarely hurts. But in my world, you always have to go to the abdomen for everything, right? So all I want you to do is put your hands on your belly. Right? So they're covering your entire belly. And I want you to press in a little harder on this one so you can just start to move the belly in circles, right? Just like your washing machine, move the belly to clockwise and move it counterclockwise, just like that. You can even go up and down, you can go side to side, you can do many different things. And then I want you to lightly tap your abdomen with both hands. That's spot number four. Then spot number five is the crease of your groin, right where the pants get a crease. You can do these at the same time. I want you to rub along the crease of the groin or above and below it. It doesn't matter so which direction inguinal, you go. Yeah, right at the area. inguinal right. region. Okay. When you sit and you have the crease of your pants, that's yep. where it goes. And just do circles there, right? And then last place is behind the knees. So now if you're seated or if you're standing, just be careful. You bend over, you don't hurt your back. Rub behind the crease of the knee. That's spot number six. And then afterwards, you just opened up your flow pipes. So now stand up and then just lightly rebound on your toes so you can move this, what I call the slosh pipe around. But here's the coolest part, Doc. I said before that no system in the body ever works alone, never gets injured alone, never heals alone. In my world, there's no such thing as an isolated injury or isolated healing. It's all hands on deck. Every single part of your body tries to help you heal. So what you just did there is you opened up all the primary blood flow routes in the whole body that can help that area that you're having your issue with heal. But guess what sits and travels with those lymph nodes? Arteries veins, and nerves. We call them neurolymphovascular bundles, big fancy gobbledygook word that means all of those things travel together. If you have inflammation around that, you affect them all, right? So those pipes that sit there deliver the fluid flow down. So I want to open up those flow pipes because now I'm going to give you the nutrients and oxygen that can actually get to your tissues. Because this is really important for people to understand here is that I'm talking about getting the waste. Let's say that your ankle has swelling in it, right? Or you have edema in your ankle. 
that's got to go all the way up to your collarbone. But what's it got to pass to get to your collarbone? It's got to go past your knee. It's got to go past your groin. It's got to go past your abdomen. It's got to go up your spine and to the left side of your neck. That's a long way to go. So I'm going to ask you, what happens if you have blocks in the back of your knee and the crease of your groin and your abdomen that you didn't even know about because they don't hurt you? That's going to compromise the waist to be able to get out to your collarbone, maybe just enough to where it doesn't get well or it takes a long time to get well. But it's a two-way street. What are those cells in your ankle that got damaged need? Nutrients and oxygen. And then where do they come from? Higher up from your heart down. So I just opened up both routes. So now I'm going to get more blood flow to your ankle because what I'm going to contend is if you're blocked behind your knee with limp and you're blocked in your groin with limp and you're blocked in your abdomen with limp, you're going to be blocked in nutrient blood flow to the ankle that's trying to heal itself. So what does that mean in my world? It's very, very simple. I never, ever, ever treat any part of the body until I do those big six places first. So which means I never okay. start at your ankle. Until, yeah. until I clear the flow routes. So it's kind of like a then, warm up. Like don't go into the exercise until you warm up. This is my warm up too. So I yeah. tell people this, don't just go start stretching in the corner and don't just jump up and down because what if you jump up and down and your limp is blocked? It's like you're, you're, you're stirring the toilet because you're jumping up and down, but you didn't unblock the toilet first. So here's what I tell people to do. The big six should be done every single day of your life all the time. Do it like before right when you, you wake exercise. up. It's up to you. Most people like it when they wake up because when you sleep at night, you have the longest period of inactivity. Most people breathe through their mouth and not their nose, and they feel very tight, stiff, um, body sore when they wake up, which is a classic sign of poor lymphatic system. So it's good to do it in the morning. Some people like to do it at night because it primes them up for sleeping. Uh, I like to do it before I train so it gets my body ready to be a monster. And then after I'm a monster, hang on for this one. When you train and you exercise, what do you create? A lot more waste, right? You are purposely breaking down cells to make yourself stronger and more resilient. But they only get that way when you can make new ones and get rid of the old ones. So you're making more waste intentionally. So you do your big six after you train because then I'm going to get the waste out faster. But here's a caveat, and I need to put this caveat in. Do not let the simplicity of this fool you. Because people say, Doc, that's silly. You're just rubbing and you're tapping. No, you just don't understand physiology yet. But what you just did there is one of the most powerful things you're ever going to do to change how fluid flow moves in your body. And it is super powerful. With that, you're going to start to get the waste to begin to get out of your body. So you may go through a detoxification reaction with this, which means that you feel tired, fatigued, lethargic, sometimes a little bit worse the next day. Sometimes you have an increase in pain in the body because your body has to figure out what to do with the changes of the oxygen level in the body and the blood flow. So it's got to find itself. So those are not bad things, but I just need you to be aware of that. So here's what I want you to note. Always make sure you're hydrated. Your lymph is 90% water. Right, And most of your blood is 90% water. So if you're dehydrated, you're never going to get well. So that's another big thing that I tell people. Stop drinking the soda. Stop drinking the crap. Drink more water. you got to hydrate because then your limp will move better. And then don't repeat the big six again if you have a detox reaction until you begin to feel a little bit better because you don't want to overwhelm an overwhelmed system. Give yourself a little bit of time. You can work up to every single day. You actually might notice your skin can start to get irritated or break out. That's because the skin's going to try to get rid of a lot of the toxins for you that have been blocked for years because skin issues are always lymph, kidney, gut, and lung tied together. Right? So those are just really important caveats to understand. And if you do the big six every single day of your life, you're going to be an absolute monster. Amazing. That's, and I mean, it seems so simple, you know, um, that's incredible. That's um, why people overlook it because it's so simple, but there's yeah. a lot to it. Like I just told you, I could spend eight hours telling you why it works, 
but I just want people to start to do it so they can experience the difference. And here's the secret is that you don't just start slapping body parts to warm yourself up. You're influencing big flow routes first, big flow routes. First. So if you do dry brushing, a lot of people are familiar with dry brushing in my yeah. world, you always dry brush the big six first, and then you go to everything else. So you never, ever start dry brushing your feet up until you clear the big six first in my world. You will notice your difference in your, your responses to that will be vastly different. I've totally brushed my arms and legs first. <laughs> never again. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's a good start, right? But it's not yeah. optimal for you to do. Interesting. Because I mean, I've always what, done it towards do. the heart, but yeah. Yeah. So if you open up those big six places, your, your arms and your legs automatically start to drain on their own. Fascinating. Wow. Well, there are so many things when you go, you know, to your social media, you talk a lot about the tongue, you know, uh, we don't have time to dive into all this, but like the glymphatic system in the brain, there's so many mm -hmm. other areas that we haven't even addressed, but I love that this is kind of like the basic start for kind of unclogging this lymphatic toilet. So, uh, we're going to move to the semen analysis. And this is just totally fitting because I never know what the conversation is going to be like on this podcast until, you know, we get to the end, obviously, but I always pick this article or whatever we're going to talk about before, uh, before the podcast. And I found um, a review on lymphatic function and autoimmune disease. And this was published in uh, the frontiers of immunology in March of 2019, if anybody wants to go mm -hmm. find it. And I think uh, Dr. Nicholson has, has very much established that lymphatic vessels you know, are critical for clearing the fluid and inflammatory cells in these tissues and have a very important role in immune tolerance. And that was the, the whole basis of this review was basically the functional association of lymphatics with the immune system and how lymphatic dysfunction can contribute to the pathophysiology of rheumatic autoimmune disease. Um, but I pulled out just this one little chunk. So they talk a lot about manual lymphatic, you know, flow. So I can imagine Dr. Nicholson, they're referring to like massage to us doing, you know, these tapping techniques, these, you know, circular motions. So that's manual lymphatic, right? Yes. Um, but they did a review on acupuncture and that's always something, you know, I come from an integrative world. So I have some patients that use acupuncture for a variety of reasons, uh, maybe menstrual dysfunction, infertility, um, or in pregnancy are common ones, of course, that I see. And acupuncture is a component of traditional Chinese medicine, but it has a lymphatic basis. So these acupoints that they use, uh, to use the acupuncture needles on the practitioners are targeting um, to mobilize uh, stagnant chi, which is thought to be a form of energy that flows through the meridian systems and enhances well-being. Well, they did a recent analysis of these acupoints that demonstrated um, that they co-localize co with tissue planes rich in nervous blood vessels and lymphatic and mast cells, which is exactly what you just told everybody. And um, basically the insertion of the metal needle into the skin, spinning the needle between the acupuncturist's fingers. Uh, this is propose that this process disturbs, disturbs the local tissue and transmits a biomechanical signal to the surrounding cells and structures that stimulates the lymphatic vessels. Additionally, the activation of nerves and mast cells in the area can result in release of vasoactive cytokines that then stimulate the lymphatic vessels to better mobilize the fluid and inflammatory cells in the area. And there are observational trials showing that the efficacy of acupuncture, this was in breast cancer patients with lymphedema, um, definitely supports the idea that it modulates lymphatic function. Um, this is just super fascinating to me because I think a lot of people think of these things as very like woo-woo alternative. Uh, maybe it's placebo effect, but this is all tied back to the lymphatic system. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's 100% correct because you're just using things in that region to, uh, you could, acupuncture can help decrease stress in somebody and it decreases tension. Whenever you decrease tension in the body, you increase fluid flow because uh, tight tissue doesn't accept blood flow well, and it doesn't get rid of fluid very well, right? And, and that's, that ties back into something that John Sarno talked about, with a medical doctor about emotions and back pain. He had what's called TMS, tension myoneural or tension myositis syndrome, where excess tension tightens up muscles, which decreases blood flow, which causes hypoxia, which is decreased oxygen and you'll get pain. Yeah. So it ties back to that. And what's really cool is that those lymph nodes, they know they are immunological barcode scanners. So 
whenever anything enters into your body, your immune system has to scan it and tag it and tell your body what to do with it. So they're like scanning uh, something in the grocery store so it knows what you're buying. The lymph nodes do that. And you have 700, 700, 800 individual scanners in your body. When the lymph nodes get congested and stagnated, they just start scanning and scanning and scanning and scanning. And then you just stay inflamed, right? Wow. So one of the things that I tell people is I honestly don't care what you do to those big six regions. You can rub it, you can tap it, you can laser it, you can massage it, you can drop and lean on there, you can do gua sha, whatever you want. Those are techniques. The concept never changes. The techniques do. You just have to find the one that works right for you. So yeah. I love that. That's a great article. I know it because I've read it. <laughs> yeah, it is good. It was so fitting. So tell people, Dr. Nicholson, how to find you, how to find your programs, how to work with you. Oh, thank you very much. It's very simple. You can go to my website, stopchasingpain.com. That's the central hub from there on everything from all of our courses and membership sites and uh, social media links as well. I spend the most time, I think, on social media at this point on Instagram. Some people might say it's an unhealthy amount, but I, uh, I digress. I, I enjoy that. And the one thing I will let people know is that my work is designed for every, every human on earth. It's not just for healthcare professionals. It's for anyone who wants to learn more about their body, empower themselves and learn some self skill techniques to, to help themselves find, find themselves out of the abyss or just keep going harder, faster, stronger, longer on feeling better. Incredible. Well, you guys go check out Dr. Perry Nicholson on Instagram. That's where I follow him too. And uh, Stop Chasing Pain is his Instagram and his website. I know you see people in person in New Jersey and it looks like you also do some telemedicine too. So go check out the website, you guys. Tell all your friends about the importance of your lymphatic flow. I know I'm going to start hitting the big six, you guys. I learned some things today too. Uh, So make sure you share this with all your family and friends and we will catch you on the next episode. Did you guys love that last episode of the Fit and Fabulous podcast? Well, of course you did. And I want to keep bringing you the most amazing content from the most incredible people. And you can help me by subscribing to the Dr. Fit and Fabulous channel. You guys know where the button is. Just click it. It's the doctor's orders.